I want to spend the next few minutes, though, uh, because I heard he was in the province, and it's actually a return visit to the uh, National Congress on Rural Education in Canada, at 20th annual. And when I refer to he, I'm talking about Michael Zwagstra. He's a public high school teacher in Manitoba, a research fellow with the Frontier Center for Public Policy, and a much-published author on all things educational. Now, when Zagstra comes into town, we talk about what some of the tensions are. He calls it the age-old debate in the way we assess children, the way we assess outcomes. But more importantly, who stands in front of children, educates them, and what should that education look like? Uh, Michael Swagster is going to be here until the bottom of the hour, and any time he is... If you want to join the conversation, agree with them, disagree with them, fire a question, it's one 332 8255 Good to have you back. Well, thank you for having me, John. It's good to be here. Now, you're on your, your spring break, Easter break, I guess, in Manitoba. That's which, right. So you hit the speaking circuit and you're out doing uh, this Congress, which uh, I think you were here last year as well. I was, yes. Okay, so tell me about the response when you refer to, quote, traditional education. What, what are you talking about? Well, when I talk about traditional education, I'm referring to uh, uh, what uh, many people would uh, would think of, that uh, the idea that a teacher is in charge of the classroom, uh, that there's specific content and skills that all students need to master. Uh, there's a significant amount of whole class instruction. Uh, instruction is done in a way that is step-by-step step and sequential, so that way students master one concept and move on to the next and there's a actual time for students to practice their skills and move on to the next level. And there's a certain amount of memorization involved. That is what I refer to uh, when I'm talking about traditional education. Now, one of the related adjuncts to this, and I, I'm troubled a little bit because I don't know where the debate breaks down. I, I hear people say, well, on the appraisal of students or on the, you know, the assessment and the feedback, we should be customizing as much as possible for every student. I find that attractive because, of course, students are as different. You know, you've got 25 of them in your class. Those are 25 individual customizable kids. But why does the debate start to get a pretty divisive kind of sense? Well, the debate starts to uh, divide when we start talking about uh, the extent to which there is a specific body of knowledge and skills that all students should have. I firmly believe that there is. I believe that it's possible to identify specific content knowledge that everyone needs to have if they're going to be successful as a Canadian citizen, and along with specific skills. If you believe that, you have to have a certain amount of standardization because we need to make sure that students are learning certain specific facts and theories and certain skills. Now, I, I have no problem with doing some individualization. Obviously, we try to uh, adapt for various students, but at the end of the day, if you believe as I do, and as I believe most people do, uh, that we can identify specific things that everyone should know and be able to do, you have to have a certain amount of uh, standardized uh, procedures and practices in order to make sure that those things are mastered. Okay, so your point is that as, as that child is an individual, and every unique individual, sure, there are going to be certain appraisals, but it has to be standard to at least to the extent to which what did they learn that everyone is being taught? Absolutely. Uh, regardless of the student uh, in, in terms of their background, I think it's fully appropriate to say that every single person who graduates from high school should be familiar with key events of Canadian history. I don't think anyone should graduate from high school without knowing uh, the key factors that led to Confederation of 1867. And there are many other things that we can identify that are, that are important. Now, I'm not saying that's all students should learn. I think that there's plenty of room in school uh, to 
follow student interests and to learn things that are outside of the, uh, the defined curriculum. But we have to define certain specific things and make sure we focus on those. Michael Zweigstra is here. What's a constructivist? The constru- a constructivist is someone who believes that uh, that students ultimately construct their own knowledge, and uh, uh, when you so when you support this idea of uh, of constructivist approach to teaching, you focus on it being student centered and student directed. So instead of starting from the premise that the teacher is an expert and is transmitting knowledge and skills to students, rather it's flipped around so that way the students are supposed to direct the learning. And so uh, let me give you a specific example yeah. where this this d- divide comes in: a topic like math, uh, the more traditional approach is that in uh, math in math such as addition subtraction multiplication division there are specific algorithms uh, specific strategies that have been tested for centuries that work like the times table exactly and also where you put one number on top of the other you carry you borrow I mean these are standard things long division uh, the constructivist approach uh, de-emphasizes that, says, no, that is not the way to go. Rather, we want students to develop their own math strategies. So that is why when you pull out a math textbook like Math Makes Sense, which doesn't, yeah. uh, the reason it doesn't make sense is because it tries to make students come up with their own ways of doing math. It is unbelievably frustrating. <laughs> they don't get the right answer, uh, and it would be far more effective to simply show them the methods that work the best that have been developed by mathematicians over the centuries. I was going to say, Pythagoras had some stuff right hundreds of years ago, and Absolutely. the principles don't change. Absolutely. And it took him time to uh, to discover uh, his theorems. A grade 7 class isn't going to rediscover it on their own independently in 30 minutes. Michael Zweigstra is here, a senior research fellow with the Frontier Center for Public Policy, a much published author, and he's a high school teacher uh, in Steinbach, Manitoba, and he's in speaking to the 20th National Congress on Rural Education in Canada. Now, that's a uh, conference that's been going on the uh, past couple of days at TCU Place in Saskatoon. See, I'm puzzled when, like, I could get it on civics or social studies or some of um, <laughs> the things I enjoyed in school. The, 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 you know, the, I don't agree with it, but I could hear a teacher say, well, you know, go off and teach yourself you know, your interest in the War of 1812, as opposed to your interest in the development of Upper and Lower Canada, that kind of thing. Math. These people believe you can reconstruct the way kids learn math? Well, that's the approach. I mean, uh, all you need to do is take a look at uh, the Math Makes Sense textbooks. And the reason they're so frustrating is that it'll put forward a problem and it has these various strategies that students can use if they want. There's always this emphasis on students. They're supposed to develop two or three of their own strategies, then explain how they did it. Uh, it is very inefficient. And the younger you are when you're doing this, the worse it is. The students who benefit the most from structured instruction are the students at the youngest grade levels, because that's when they need the foundational knowledge and skills the most. Now, we d- uh, we took the provincial government to task on this about three or four years ago, and you know there was a lot of talk i suspect in the bowels of the of the education ministry they didn't really change anything at all so does saskatchewan still use math make sense yes it does there this was reviewed uh, a few years ago and i had some hope that there were going to be some revisions in the math curriculum ultimately the education minister at that time donna harper uh, chose not to make any changes uh, and it's interesting to note that in both Manitoba and more recently Alberta, due to a lot of concerted lobbying from math professors and parents, changes were made in the curriculum to put times tables in uh, at an earlier grade level to make sure that standard algorithms are included. So there has been some progress made in other provinces. And the Wise Math Initiative, which was a uh, group of Western math professors, 
I think based in Manitoba, they were one of the groups pushing that. Absolutely. And Wise Math is still active, and uh, their website is wisemath.org. They're doing very good work. Uh, these are math professors that they know their stuff, and they also know how to teach kids. There's a couple of them actually, uh, in the evenings, run math tutoring uh, services, and uh, they, they help elementary <laughs> students learn basic math because they know how important it is when you get to higher age levels. Yeah, and I was going to say, with the influence of Math Makes Sense, uh, there's probably a lot more tutors being hired as well. This is this is a boon for the tutoring agencies, no doubt about it. Michael Zweigster is here, Senior Research Fellow of the Frontier Center for Public Policy. Um, let's hang on to this thought, and I, I want to ask you more about this as we get back. Uh, how we start now to look at some of the evolving environment in the classroom. Will you stay with that? We'll talk a little bit more about what teachers are being asked to do. Sounds good. I'm John Gormley. This is 980-CJME and 650-CKOM. John Gormley, uh, Michael Zwagster is here, much published author, uh, public high school teacher in Manitoba, and a research fellow with the Frontier Center for Public Policy. Now, you've been speaking, again, as you did a year ago, to the National Congress on Rural Education in Canada, and one of the things you're on about the structured approach to learning, which I, I found fascinating, was based on the level of advantage of a child in society, you say more disadvantaged kids actually need more structure. Why? Well, one thing that the research evidence is very clear on is that traditional teaching methods that involve that structure and content benefit disadvantaged kids the most. And there's a very simple reason for that. Uh, if you're from a disadvantaged home, chances are your parents aren't going to pro provide private school tuition because they can't afford it. Uh, they can't take you to the museum on a regular basis. They can't take you to the symphony. You have limited opportunities to expand your knowledge base. And so the only knowledge they're going to get in terms of academic content is largely at school. And so it is absolutely essential that for those kids in particular, if we want to help disadvantaged children, we need to have these traditional teaching methodologies. And that is why some of the strongest advocates of this approach are actually on the left of the political spectrum. This sometimes gets into a left-right debate, and it isn't. Because if you care about the disadvantaged, about kids in poverty, we need to make sure that they learn the things they need to learn in school. That's amazing, because the left-wing crowd at the U of R and the U of S, faculties of education, which appear, I'm being a bit overly generalized, but appear to be generally left-wing academics, they're all about this constructivist free flow, kids learn at their own rates. And that is the, that constructist free flow approach is the absolute worst for disadvantaged kids. If you have a grade one boy or girl, and they have very limited, limited background knowledge and don't know how to read, the worst thing you can do is just simply let them pursue their own interests and not make sure that they have the knowledge and skills they need. Now, now for reading, is there a tie then in literacy to the amount of background knowledge? Absolutely there is. Background knowledge is absolutely key to reading comprehension. In order to read an article or a book or a website, in order to understand it, you need to know something about the topic at hand. If you need to look up every other word in a passage, or if you don't know anything about the topic, you're not going to be able to read it very well. And there's plenty of research that supports this. And so, for example, uh, if, you have, if, if students read a passage about something they know about, for example, an article about baseball, and they know lots about baseball, their scores are off the chart for that passage. And so the message from this is that we need to make sure that students have the broadest knowledge base possible. And that means making sure that we're teaching them as many facts and theories and, uh, that, and content that we possibly can, particularly at the early grade levels. 
So what is it now? You talk to a lot of educators, and in this case, the the rural educators. You talk to a lot of parents. I'm assuming, and maybe this is the big stretch. You're generally speaking to a pretty receptive audience. When I'm speaking to parents, trustees, and many teachers, the audience is quite receptive. Okay, so who doesn't like this stuff? Who doesn't like it would be, generally speaking, people in higher levels of administration. Uh, so, for example, uh, the administrators who, who run school boards, the uh, uh, department officials, uh, education professors in particular, those would be the groups that would be least receptive to what I'm saying here. That's amazing. So now, so the role of the teacher, I'm assuming uh, a lot of this is changing, like even in the time you've been teaching. What, what are teachers asked to do, you know, when she or he stands in front of that classroom? It must be confusing for teachers. Well, it, it, it is, especially because a lot of them are basically being asked not to stand in front of their classroom and supposed to be a guide on the side rather than a sage in the stage and all these types of phrases. And it's it really is difficult for teachers because uh, they're in many cases they're pressured to use the discovery approach where students are supposed to you know p- pursue their interests and this teacher is supposed to try to set up a whole series of choices that students can pursue. That's all good in moderation, but if you're expected to make that your primary approach to teaching, that is a that is a way to burn teachers out because it's almost impossible to successfully do that on a long-term basis if you're really truly going to individualize it for everyone. I was going to say, have everyone you know, 25 kids on you know googling stuff, and you're supposed to set up a learning model where this journey of discovery I mean, that would be. That would be an incredibly insurmountable hill for a lot of teachers. Absolutely. And most teachers, you don't go to, you don't become a teacher because you just simply want to be a, a guide on the side. Uh, a teacher is supposed to have knowledge and skills and should be able to effectively convey that to students using a variety of strategies and methods. I'm not saying everyone should teach the same way, uh, but we should teach. We should actually show students how to do things and expose them to as much knowledge and content as we possibly can, particularly at the early grade levels. Michael Zweigstra is here. Now, you wrote the Parents' Guide to Common Sense Education in Saskatchewan uh, last fall, September 2014. What's the uptake been on that? Uh, it's been, there's been a good response. I've had uh, a number of uh, people that have contacted me as a result uh, that have expressed interest in it. I mean, the guide is designed to uh, to show uh, the public uh, what, and teachers what the evidence really shows in terms of how students learn best, uh, what is a fad that works and uh, that doesn't work, and, and what is a, a method that actually does, and try to cut through some of that. That's the point of the guide. And that's at uh, Frontier Center uh, for Public Policy, which is fcpp.org. O-R-G. O-R-G. So the road ahead now, I mean, you talk about this traditional form of instruction. You talk about the uh, the opposition you get from senior school administrators, uh, officials in the Ministry of Education, and education profs. So where's this thing's going to come down? Well, a lot of it comes down to what, uh, uh, what, what the public insists upon and what uh, governments ultimately choose to do. And, uh, and you need to have you know, an edu- education ministers uh, that understand this file and that are willing to push back against their department because that's really the only way that anything is going to change. Uh, if you simply let the department run itself and follow the latest trends, uh, then we, were, we will see more of the same and parents will look forward to get to look forward to more math that doesn't make sense and, uh, and, and frustrating evenings in that regard. So yet we have to insist upon actual changes. So math makes sense. Is that the, and that's what you started with today, and it's been a while since we've visited it here. I, you know, I'll never forget um, front-end uh, rounding, you know, where you take, uh, you know, 186, you don't round the 6, you don't round the 8, you round the 100, which was completely incomprehensible because all of a sudden you've got kids overshooting the mark 
by units of hundreds and hundreds. So that kind of thing, if parents are tackling that now, what do they do? Well, they need to push back. They need to uh, express their concerns to uh, their child's teacher and talk to the teacher. I always recommend talking to the teacher. They should push back to administration. They should push back to their school board and talk to elected officials. And they should push back to the provincial government. All at the same time, making sure that that you do whatever you can for your child. And so that means sitting down with your child and working with them on this and showing them the proper way to do math. Uh, if your child is not learning basic long division, show them how to do it because it is an important skill that they will have to learn. It should be taught in school, but all too often that tends to get left by the wayside. Michael Swagster, the man who wrote the uh, Parents' Guide to Common Sense Education in Saskatchewan. He is a research fellow with the Frontier Centre for Public Policy and uh, back in the province speaking to the National Congress on Rural Education. Always good to have you by, my friend. Thank you. Well, you're welcome. Always happy to be with you, John. I'm John Gormley. This is 650 CKOM and 980 CKME.